Welcome to the Fantasy Jones. I'm Carlos Marion, and I'm here with Frank Amarante from the game day. Frank, the Super Bowl's here. Eagles. Oh, yeah. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about some fantasy baseball. Frank, are you ready for the fantasy baseball season? Oh, hell yeah. It's draft season. This is the early time when we're on the NFBC doing our high stakes draft champions drafts. And uh, I thought it's a perfect time to uh, get into it. Talk about strategy, teach about the format to the, to the beginners because there's a learning curve with this type of uh, this type of format. So I want to get into it, get into my process. Of course, Super Bowl week's going on. We're talking about that at Twitter. We decided to shift gears to fantasy baseball now. But go birds, your Eagles, you know, they've been dominant from the beginning of the year. They're making me proud because I bet on them to win the Super Bowl at 20 to 1 right before the season. Hopefully your team gets it done. Uh, I don't want to, you know, I know some fans could be superstitious and then be like, if I'm saying I think the Eagles are going to win, you'd be like, no, no, Frank, Frank, Frank. Easy, easy, easy. You don't want to. You know, you're a little bit of a superstitious fan, probably. So I won't say that, but go birds. Yeah, I'm, uh, let's just say last game, I was pretty, pretty confident going in that we were going to prove like, okay, we got Hall of Fame players on our offensive line. They were just going to prove themselves over, like over the course of the game. I just felt that way just because they've proven it over and over again. It's not even about like, oh, Jalen Hurts is this, he was it's it lives and dies off of that offensive and defensive line and i'm glad that uh we as all year we've had the best team in the in the league talent wise so it's nice to have them in the super bowl let's get it done one more one more one more frank you are ready on the nfc website i see let's get this bad boy started and why don't you break down this league a little bit to everybody for those who might not be aware of it this is about a bigger this is a, a bigger league it has about you, oh, draft you draft 50 players draft 50 players my goodness so this is a popular format on the nfbc particularly early in the uh draft season like right now most people are just starting to dip their foot in the fantasy baseball pool get ready but a lot of people like content creators or heavy high stakes players they get into these draft champions leagues to just really immerse themselves in the player pool and get them ready for the main events which are about which is about like 1300 dollars buy-in for a huge overall prize so this is like prep for them but this is a league where the overall prize is about uh $40,000 and then you're in a league of 15 if you come in first in that uh, or second or even third you get to pay out as well so it's a difficult league because of how many players you take and it's just a draft and hold so you draft a 50-man roster and there's no ads and no drops so it really changes the strategy within fantasy baseball also you're starting two catchers you're starting five outfielders one utility one corner infielder and one middle infielder so it's a really deep pool um another note i should make is that when you start your players in this league for hitters you start them from monday to thursday so you can you can adjust the hitters from those days on friday to sunday you're allowed to adjust once again so from monday to thursday it's locked once once again once a player has has played 
your lineups locked until Friday. Then you can make the changes again. But for pitchers, you make your decision on Monday, and that's your that's your rotation for the week. You can't make any changes on Friday. So that makes it more important when your pitcher has two starts for the week. But at the same time, you have to decide, hey, his first start looks like a good matchup, but the second one, maybe it's in Cincinnati or at Coors Field. You don't feel confident there. You don't want them to hurt your ratios. And of course, this is a roto league with categories, uh, standard categories. That's batting average, runs, home runs, RBI, steals, uh, saves, wins, ERA, whip, and strikeouts for pitching. So you have to build a really balanced team. Sounds a, sounds like a tall order. But, of course, the main thing for this is to, like you said, get acclimated with the player pool so that when you go into bigger drafts, you just know about every player just because you've scanned through and put yourself in this tough position where like, okay, I'm, I'm, I, we have 50 players to think about. We have to decide here a way that we're going to build out this team. So Frank, I noticed you had the fifth pick overall in this 15 man pool. And uh, yeah, tell me about this. Tell me about this uh, player pool. I know. I, do I notice a name here? Number team 15. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Wow. Favorite analyst, Eric wow. Cross. Shout out to him. He's at Fantrax. He's at FTN. He's at a number of sites. He's an excellent fantasy baseball creator, uh, especially with prospects and with dynasty leagues, but really with everything. And uh, follow him on Twitter. I'm just going to pull up his handle now for the listeners so they can follow him easily. That's at Eric C-R-O-S-S Cross. Zero four. So follow him for some great content. Yes, he is in this league, and it's it's obviously a pleasure to go up against him. An absolute legend. There's also John Anderson of Roto Baller who makes some great projections. There's um, uh, there's a number of others as well. A couple that I remember. Uh, Shelly of uh, Rogue Straight. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, but she's with uh, she's great with prospects as well. But anyways, going into the you know, strategy before I talk about my draft, we're not going to go player by player because, Hey, it's still going on. I'm in the 45th round, <laughs> uh, but we're not going to go through each player, but what we're going to do is basic strategy that you can incorporate in your own practice. But before I start that, I would recommend, especially if it's the first time you're doing this, do a slow draft. I know it could be a pain because it drags out for a week, two weeks, but it gives you time to really think about how you're going to build this, roster it's 50 players if you're doing it with a one one and a half minute clock it's it for one it's going to take you like two and a two plus hours to draft it's a real or or ordeal like you're thinking on the spot it's not a great idea to do right away so do a slow draft but i digress let's get right into it so one of the things with the uh our fantasy baseball drivers is steals are scarce they're hard to find and a strategy is to get them early. And that's because the players who are able to hit home runs up to 20 to 30 and also steal 20 to 30 bases, they go early. So you want to target that. I like to do that in the first round. And as you could see here by ADP, there's several that do so. There's Trey Turner, there's Jose Ramirez, Acuna, 
Julio Rodriguez, Kyle Tucker, Bobby Witt, you know, um, Aaron Judge stole, uh, uh, I think, 15-plus last year. I don't think he'll do it again. But, you know, he's got that great power. But if you took someone like Judge in the first round, then you got to look again in the second round because it dries up quickly because, you know, you, this is why Michael Harris of the Braves, he goes in the second round. That sounds high to, to many probably for a second-year player, but he goes that high because he went 20-20 last year. So you could see steals are really at a premium so you want to get that early so that's what I did in my first three picks I decided to wait on pitching because pitchers are going later right now as we get closer to March they get bumped up in ADP so I wanted to take advantage of value pitchers by targeting hitting early and try to find one a little bit later I would recommend you do that because right now they're at a lower lower ADP and like I said they'll be pushed up in the coming months so Getting the speed, I took Kyle Tucker. He he should be good for 20-plus steals. And then it might surprise the listeners, but I took JT Realmuto second round, a catcher, but that's where his ADP is. Because you can't make any pickups and because you start two catchers and because Realmuto steals bases, he goes really high. He's safe. He's done it for several years now. He's in a good lineup. He's going to get a lot of plate appearances. So it's just a safe pick. Now, when I'm taking Real Muto early, I'm going to wait a long time for my next catcher because I've invested such a premium pick in the position. I'm going to just really use it like, think of it like in fantasy football, anchor running back. When you take an early running back, then you hammer receivers, quarterback. You don't get your RB2 till later. Same thing with catcher. And I would recommend you do that too. Then I took Randy Rosarena. He's great with speed. He could steal 30-plus bases. He could hit 20 home runs. I think he's a bit undervalued in the third round. So you see in my first three picks, I've got Tucker who could steal 20-plus, maybe even 30. i got Real Muto who should be good for 15. And i got a Rosarena who should be good for 30. After I had done that, I noticed like, hey, a Rosarena might hit only 20 home runs. Kyle Tucker, he, he'll hit like 30 max. He's not like a 40 home run hitter. Like the teams that drafted Aaron Judge, Jordan Alvarez, I'm behind them in power right now because my players don't have that type of upside. So that's why I went with a power hitting first baseman, Matt Olson. He's going to play basically every single game. He's in a great lineup. He's coming off a bit of a down year. So it's a great spot for him as well. So that's my core four to start it off. Do you have any questions? What do you think of those four? I I, uh, like the... The reasoning for your picks, um, I think when you told me at first about Rio Muto, it, it threw me off guard. But then when you told me about the steals, it made a lot more sense that you'd go into the second round and in a deeper in a deeper league like this. Um, the only thing I wonder is, do you worry about not even getting a an arm that like I see what you did later, but do you worry about not getting an arm in terms of like a uh, like a safe base. Yeah. Oh, I guess you didn't have the chance for Degrom or or McClanahan. Ah, yeah. And and you would have your choices. Actually, never mind. All of the pitchers. I did not reading this incorrectly. All of the pitchers went right before you. There was a massive yeah. pitcher run, so it kind of led to okay. I might as well get a power hitter here. 
Yeah, that's a great question because a lot of players, they like to take their pitcher at least in the first three rounds. Like the latest, the third, they want that top pitcher just for that security. But like you said, there was a big run um, on pitcher. Like, look at this. After Emmanuel Classe went, it was Woodruff, it was Strider, Alcantara, DeGrom, McClanahan, and Nola. So that leads me to take either Dylan Cease or Verlander. I'm kind of lower on Cease this year because... Uh, I know he's a stud. He's got a great K rate, but he's got some command issues. His walk rate was double digits, you know. So because of that, I think he's priced at a premium and, you know, it's a little bit more volatile to take him. I could have taken Verlander as well. I think he'll do very well uh, with the Mets. It's just that, you know, having wanted to get a hitter who can go like 2020, even 2030, like he did last year in a Rosarena. And he's now gotten back-to-back 2020 seasons. And he's a bit different than Cedric Mullins in the fact that, you know, Mullins is not good at all against lefties, whereas Arozarena doesn't have those type of uh, issues with platoon splits. I just had to take him there. And then coming back, I was hoping maybe I can get a pitcher like Scherzer or Luis Castillo falling to me, but they didn't. And what I saw is, you know, Matt Olson at this point had fallen past his ADP. And that's another tip for the listeners is obviously you don't want to treat ADP like it's like set in stone, but it's like a baseline for you. So you see a player who's fallen a bit past uh, their market price. You may want to just take the plunge. And Olson, I think he's such a safe pick, especially in the late fourth round. Like, he had a down year last year, but he still hit 30-plus home runs. He's still hitting in the heart of a excellent lineup. And what I like to do is I like to go on fan graphs. I like to go on projections. I can go to the Bad X, which is a good projection system by Derek Cardi. Shout out to him. And what I can do then is I sort by position. I sort by first base because I want to see how much playing time they project, each one. And here's what I found. You know, Matt Olson is projected to have the most played appearances in baseball at 671. Uh, he's one of only 10 first basemen with 600 plus played appearances as a projection. And he's only one of five first basemen projected for over 30 home runs. It's just, he's a, I know a lot of people, we always like to say, you know, I could get first base later. You can, but that's if they hit like, the floor of trying to get one later is that they go like 25 home runs, 75 RBI. They're, you know, not playing as often. Like, look at, for example, Olsen projected for 671. Let's say I waited on first base and I went with like Nathaniel Lowe. That's 617. That's our, that's 60 fewer plate appearances. So we're just playing a volume game here. We're play, we're betting on the hitter with, with more of a track record who's in a better lineup, in a better ballpark. It was a no-brainer for me there. So because of that value, I was willing to pass up the pitchers that were available at the time. And it leads me to my next point, which is I I want to come out of this draft and draft champions getting one closer in the first five rounds. You can tell our listeners who it is. It's your boy who you traded to me in our home league last year for a pick, mention his name. Felix Bautista. The man nobody else wanted but Frank. Like, 
This guy is just a total stud. If you look at Eno Saris's content of The Athletic or you listen to his podcast, Rates and Barrels with Derek Van Riper, uh, he said Felix Bautista is among the best stuff plus of any reliever. And when he took over the role from Jorge Lopez last year, uh, down the stretch, he was fantastic. I know it's a limited track record, but you know Baltimore should be able to win 80 games. Bautista is the clear-cut closer. He's got great stuff. I really liked this pick. Now, you look at the way the board fell, he was the last of the you know, elite tier of closers I like to look at. Like that includes uh, Edwin Diaz, Josh Hader, uh, Emmanuel Classe, Ryan Presley, Rysel Iglesias, Jordan Romano, Ryan Housley of the Cardinals. So after him, there's Camilo Duvall, but we've seen the Giants in the past use another reliever, like at times, like taking away saves. And now they, they added... Uh, Taylor Rogers, who closed for the Padres last year for a chunk of the season. So who's to say they don't give Rogers a save opportunity here and there. So I really wanted to get Bautista because he was that last elite closer at the top that I felt comfortable with. And your other boy, Christian Javier was picked right before me. Now, having taken Bautista in the fifth, my plan was, and I think you should do it too, is like I did with catcher. I waited really long for my next closer and that's that and then from there you take one of the last remaining closers projected for a role for my listeners what i suggest our listeners is go to fangraphs go to roster resource and they have a depth chart for every single team and that's their projection on not only the batting order but also the bullpen and who may be next in line I'm also going to give a shout out to myself as well on the game day. If you search up, I wrote up the closer depth charts there as well and what I think, how it looks. And I put next in line and the third in line as well. So this could help you out. Uh, but like I said, you don't want to be investing too much in relievers, especially early, because, you know, you got to build a pitching staff as well. Yeah, good on you there with making sure that you get a a closer, and that makes great sense because again, we we talk, we always worry about the volatility of closers. You always want that top elite guy, and to kind of make shift later on in a system like this, it makes sense. Where okay, you take a shot on elite guy, but then you're gonna have the opportunity through your fab budget to kind of get some closers possibly um like there's still like waiver wire budgets right no no this no that's the oh thing. this one no uh, no there's oh, okay so then now i get what you're saying so, where yeah. you want an elite guy and then you take your moonshot and then you go from there yeah so you the the idea here is you get one elite closer then as your second closer you get one who looks to have the role and i took trevor may of the a's they signed them to, I think they gave him $7 million a year. It's clear they're going to let him close. And then hopefully, you know, he does well and they could trade him at the deadline. But then from there, you just attack relievers who could be next in line. Like mm. you take, I, I looked last year at the top five overall, they had eight relievers. So they took a lot of those specs, which means yeah. like players who could potentially emerge as closers. I'm trying to take eight on this team. So a good idea is to try to, you know, dig deep, look for 
potential sleepers. I'm going to shout one out. That's Scott McGuff of the D-backs. He's a reliever they signed over from Japan, and he was a closer there the last two seasons. And he added a splitter, which made him more effective as a, uh, you know, appealing late inning reliever to MLB teams. And that's why the D-backs signed him. And you look at Arizona. If we go back to roster resource, look at this disastrous bullpen. And you could tell me if you think you see a, a legit closer there. Um, I'm going to click it. And we see Mark Melanson. We see Kevin Ginkle. We see Joe Mant Like, So he can, given the fact that he closed in Japan, that probably caught uh, the D-backs GM's eye. And hey, who knows? And it's so late in the draft. So that's an example of a later save spec that you can do. Others like to take their two closers early. I did that last year. When I say early, I mean like getting two closers after eight rounds. But this year, I didn't want to do that because there's so many hitters available that, you know, you want to fill or you want to build your pitching staff. I'd rather do that. Get a hitter, a starting pitcher, than waste two, spend two of those early picks on closers. Perfect. You know what? I want to kind of move into our into one of your later picks. Sure. And, uh, you know, when I you told me about this player, basically, and now I'm kind of watching this draft and I'm. And now I'm picturing you drafting him and then instantly messaging me saying, like, I know what we have to do. <laughs> we have to take yeah, yeah. we have to take Taylor Ward. Tell us why. Oh, okay. Taylor Ward is just undervalued right now. And one of the reasons is he, so I'm gonna try to find a a good tweet that I saw where someone really broke up his season in in um in sort of like intervals increments because at the start of the year he was just killing it uh and then he got injured and when he returned from injury he played it's clear he he was affected by the injury right uh his his numbers really suffered let me let me pull up his monthly game log so i'm gonna read it out uh in april five home runs one steal hit 390 in May, five home runs, he hit 314. So in both of those months, he slugged over 600. And if we look at the game log, what when was the injury? So on June 3rd, he got hurt. I, I could search up what the injury was, but we'll have to do it later. He missed a couple weeks. And then his numbers started to suffer, right? Right when he came back. Uh, he in, in June, he hit only 256. And then in July, he hit 190. You know, he was banged up in the middle. And then when he came back, he ripped it up in September. So that's part of the reason why I like Taylor Ward. If if we look at his, his uh, player profile, how he, like his, his batted ball profile and how his plate discipline, we can take a look here. He had a 10% walk rate and he only struck out 21% of the time. Uh, his WRC plus was 137 League average is 100, so he's well above league average. If we look at the Angels lineup, they improved it. They they added Hunter Renfro, who could hit 30 home runs, and they added your boy, Brandon Drury, who, you know, he had a pretty surprising year last year, but he's like a versatile player. He could play around the field. He could pop, you know, 15 to 20 home runs. He helps out the lineup. Taylor Ward is hitting leadoff, projected to hit leadoff, ahead of Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. So it's a great spot. 
and I just didn't pull up his uh, exit velocity numbers. I'm going to just pull it up. That's another resource for you to use is uh, Baseball Savant because it, it really shows, um, you know, like his batted ball metrics. So you look here and it's just blood red. Like I know a lot of people criticize those who, you know, take a screenshot of this page because a lot of these stats say the same thing. Really, all you got to look at is maybe max exit velocity, average exit velocity, or or barrel percentage. And his barrel percentage is 86 percentile. Max exit velocity is 86 as well. You know, he's just he's just got a lot of upside, really. And uh, I'm going to try to quickly see where that post was. Uh, I don't think I could find it on the spot. But, you know, the context is great with a supporting cast um the the player the skills look legit and he's going i even reached on him so i took him in the eighth round he he goes like in the ninth i believe so that like that's too low like the guy could hit 30 home runs and hit 270 with you know good run good run He'll, he should have a solid production and runs because where he's hitting in the order I love it, especially with uh, the way your team's setting up here. You know, I notice you also have, I guess that makes it three outfielders and uh, your first baseman, a catcher. Now, what are you going to do from here on out? Well, for one, I, I like to get these three outfielders in, in at least the first 10 rounds because you got to take five of them and it dries up quickly. So I wanted to get like a core of three that I really like. But before we go into the other position, we need to talk about his third base. Before I talk about that, we got to get into my pitching. So it's dangerous what I did. I understand. Extremely, extremely risky. I waited till the sixth round to take my first starting pitcher. Now, when I was there, I had the uh, the choices of basically Tristan McKenzie or Tyler Glasnow. I went with Tyler Glasnow. Because I know he's coming off Tommy John, but in his short stint when he returned last year, he looked dominant. I know it was an extremely small sample, but his stuff uh, looked great. Eno Saris ranks him extremely high in stuff plus. Uh, his projections are all very good. That's another recommendation. Go to Fangraphs, go to the player page, type in his name. It's all for free. You see some of the best projections in the industry. It's not like you're going to follow them to a T but it gives you like a baseline of what to do. Yeah, so you don't have to follow these projections to a T, but they give you a guidance. Um, and Tyler Glasnow, if he pitches 140 innings, he's going to get close to 200 strikeouts. And, you know, I just thought I'd shoot for the moon for my top pitcher rather than taking like a Tristan McKenzie or a Robbie Ray. So I went with him there. Next, I'm going to give you a nice tidbit of information, and I reached on this player, and that's Logan Gilbert. I didn't get your boy, George Kirby, who's got excellent control. I took his, because he was gone, but I took his teammate, Logan Gilbert, because for one, if we look at his projections, he's going to pitch a lot of innings. And I just took Glasnow, who we're lucky if we get 150 from him. Uh, Gilbert pitched 185 last year. He's projected over 170 from every system this year. So when you're building a rotation, that's the next tip. 
is um, weigh your balance your risks. So I have one Tyler Glasnow, extremely risky, as risky as it gets. Now I'm going to take pitchers projected for more volume. But here's a major reason why I took him. And we're going to rewind all the way back to November 9th. I'm, I'm going to recommend Jeff Zimmerman, who's one of the you know greats in the industry. He writes an article at Fangraphs called Mining the News. What he does, he does the heavy lifting for you, searches all you know athletic pages or whatever, team pages, team reports, and finds useful little blurbs. And one of them that he has is Logan Gilbert has another new slider. Gilbert's quote, I'm trying to throw Verlander's slider. That same spin axis and velocity. The new new the new new slider is meant retaining the high 80s velocities of his new slider, but adding the drop of his old slider. And then when he when Jeff Zimmerman looks at it and analyzes the pitch, he sees that this new slider has a 14.9 swing strike rate in September, whereas the old one, pre-September slider, was 10.8% swing strike rate. So it's a better pitch and he was doing better. Like if you go and take a look at his September game log, guess when his highest strikeout rate of the season was like he struck out 11 against the angels. He struck out nine twice in two starts there. So you, you might've seen a, a legitimate change in, in what pit in his arsenal that can let him take the next step forward as a pitcher. So that's why I took him as my number two, as a reach there. And I wanted to just before we ch you chime in, say my third pitcher. Now, I re reached on Gilbert for the reasons I mentioned. Uh, I wanted another volume pitcher, but one who's a little safer. And that's Logan Webb of the uh, San Francisco Giants. He's their ace. He's likely to pitch at least 170 innings. In fact, last season, he pitched over 190 uh, each projection has them between 180 to 195. So again, you see, I, I recognize that I took a risky guy in Glasnow early. I took two volume players next. Yeah, the Glasnow, I completely understand it just because at that point of the draft, okay, do you go Tristan McKenzie or, or like Gilbert early or somebody else? Or do you go for that guy who could potentially take the next level um, especially in a league like this, where now you've you don't have the Woodruffs, the Striders, the Alcantara, any of those guys whatsoever. So how are you going to compete? Well, you got good hitters, and let's take some shot on some shots on some pitchers that have really high upside. So I understand that completely, and I'm I'm for this. Yeah, glad you like it. Yeah, like it's given my situation. Of course, no one likes the fact that. I've missed out on a bunch of those pitchers, but that's just the way it went. I wanted to make sure I got Bautista because like, for example, if I didn't take Felix Bautista in the fifth round, if I went in the sixth for a closer, I'd be looking at like David Bednar of the Pirates. Like he might get traded at the deadline. He might not even get a lot of opportunities. So I was willing to, you know, take that shot on Glasgow. And hey, like I said earlier, when you get to March, I've seen this the last couple of years. I haven't been successful, to be honest, in these leagues yet. But I've, you know, I've been around it enough that I'm starting to see tendencies and I've learned a lot. One thing that you see is that these pitchers really get bumped up in ADP later. So 
if you're doing a draft champions in March, Glasnow is probably going in the fifth, maybe even the fourth. So you kind of get that value in that sense as well. And I plans, I really wanted to get Kershaw later because he's just, he's going to do his thing, but he's not going to get a lot of innings, but you'll know that he'll probably help you with ERA whip Ks and like balance those guys with some safer volume pitchers, but Kershaw got taken. Uh, but to move off on our pitching for a bit, we have to talk about a position that pretty much every podcast talks about as the weakest in fantasy baseball. And it's a reason why a lot of some hitters have been bumped up. Like Bobby Witt goes in the top 10. I know he can steal 25 bases at 25 home runs, but um, his walk rate wasn't great. I believe he had a sub 300 OBP. It's a year two player. He's not as proven. It's kind of risky. But he goes there because he's third base shortstop. And a lot of these third basemen get attacked early, like Machado, Austin Riley, Rafael Devers, Nolan Arenado. I tried to be contrarian with this team here and just wait while everyone is reaching and just really making sure they get a third base. I decided I'm going to wait and see what happens. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to take a third baseman who has power, who hits in a good lineup, and whose defense is so good that even if he slumps, he's going to stay in the lineup. So that's another tip. When you're filling out the roster towards the end, you want to look for players projected for more playing time. And obviously defense is a bonus because that keeps them in the lineup. And I took Matt Chapman of the Blue Jays. Uh, obviously his average can really hurt you. Like he could hit 210. But I have some hitters earlier like Kyle Tucker or JT Realmuto, Taylor Ward, that they can you know, hit enough that their average can insulate against the risk of Matt Chapman. But hey, a lot of what we always say is batting average is is unpredictable. Like players can get lucky on 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 balls in play, their batting average on balls in play, Babip, and then have an average that's just outside of their career norms. Matt Chapman one year hit 278. Is he going to do that again? Probably not. But can he, you know get his way to 240 250 why not like is that does that sound impossible well i don't think it does uh especially you know they change the dimensions at the park who knows you look at his projections everything from average is excellent plate appearances all over 600 before i go to the home runs and rbis i want to show you just how good that is if we go to projections of third baseman we look at plate appearances Matt Chapman is ranked sixth in projected plate appearances for the bad X because his defense is so good. So that's my line of thinking there. I've already waited so long on a weak position. Let's take the guy who's got power. Let's take the guy who hits at a great lineup and has a good glove that keeps his bat in the lineup. Every projection system is, is saying that he, they think is what they do is they have their median uh, outcome uh 50th percentile outcome for a hitter and it's 30 home runs across the board with like close to 90 rbi so that's why i took chapman there what do you think of that pick the the thing with chapman i like he's proven that he's a hitter he's he's a guy early early in his career i was a big fan of um, defensively he's a guy he's a guy that he will never leave, lose up his position he's 
He's so good at third base. And then he's the type of guy that because of how good he plays, if he's in a slump, he won't be completely out of the game like some players are. So so other than that, uh, I think they've changed the dimensions in, in Toronto as well, right? Yeah. So, Apparently so, that might not make a huge impact, but hey, you never what if that helps him a bit? Exactly. And with him, he's more of like a contact guy. He's he's more of a like pure hitter in the sense of he he lacked in some areas with with power like early on he showed the 30 but you know he hasn't passed 30 yet in it you know when i remember when he hit that 36 it seemed like that was going to be the consistent number he was going to always reach but let's see if he he passes 30 this year uh, i like it i like it because when you with the weakness and the drop off at third base it's probably better to get a guy that can at least have a chance to produce 30 30 and 80 good good ratios and uh yeah yeah exactly and you know if you look at the other third baseman there kid brian hayes he could steal 20 bases but he might not even hit 10 home runs he's in an awful pirates lineup you got matt chapman in a stacked jays lineup uh eugenio suarez actually goes ahead of chapman normally but he felt like crazy in this draft which I guess in hindsight, it would be nice, you know, getting Suarez in round 13 instead of Chapman in round 10. But I don't regret it too much because I like Chapman a lot more for the reasons I said. I think he, you know, I think the Jays have a better lineup than the Mariners. I think uh, Suarez obviously doesn't have as good of a glove as Chapman so that if he's slumping, he may sit more games. So I'm fine. I really like that pick. And since we're still on third base... Here's where my team is extremely weak. It's at corner infield because I really attacked pitching um, because I waited so long on it that I neglected corner infield. And the I needed a backup third baseman. I took, this is going to be ugly to the listeners, but it's Josh Donaldson of the Yankees. And I'm going to tell you why I took him. It's It's similar to the reason of Matt Chapman in that, his defense is still good. So that keeps him... They've said, I read a report, he's still the starting third baseman. Um, So that could keep him in the lineup. In 2021, he's only one year removed of 26 home runs, 72 RBI, 247 average. Projections like him for over 440 plate appearances. When he plays, obviously he's in a good lineup. Hey, we've seen crazier things in baseball. I don't mind that pick at all as the backup third baseman putting him in that corner with some other players I took later but the the main point here is that I took two players that are good defensively that can really force their way in the lineup yeah and it's just a common theme of, of what you're going with that get some all-around players in a, in this deep pool where you can have some assurances that they won't have any splitting playing time or if in a situation like this you don't want a guy that only hits lefties or exactly yeah Yeah, exactly because when i took donaldson it was super late 29th round that's when you're starting to creep up into the young player territory unclear playing time of course donaldson like the yankees could get rid of him but his defense is still good that it could keep him in the lineup i needed some at bats so when you're in doubt and you're building this lineup, you just have to target playing time and hope for the best. 
But the next talking point I want to focus on, and I think when you start your draft, Carlos, because you're going to be doing it coming up, your very first draft champions, is target last year's bums. That's a quote from Vlad Sedler of FTN. Uh, I'm not copying him, but basically you're targeting players for potential bounce backs. The first one I grabbed was Javier Baez of the Detroit Tigers. Number one, like, like he sucked last year. He wasn't good. He was a huge disappointment. But this is a player who twice in his career, three times in his career, has hit over 29 home runs with over 10 steals. Uh, his average is volatile. Like he could hit as low as 238 like last year. He can get lucky on balls and play and hit 290. The Tigers move the fences in, which is going to help everyone with power. And we had glimpses of Di- of uh, Baez, you know, looking like his old self last year. He had a crazy hot streak at one point. Like he was really bad in the early months and then he started to get going. So I feel like in year two at the big deal, I really like him as a bounce back candidate. Like, look, in, a- in May at 159 with only one home run. From April to May, he only had three home runs, no steals. Then June and July, seven home runs, four steals. You know, he didn't have a good year, let's face it. But he had glimpses. Like, it's not like I don't think he's just falling off a cliff at 29, 30 years old. This is about taking a player who's done it before and done it recently, 2021. That's the last time. He had 31 home runs, 18 steals. That recent. So that's one of them that I took. The next one that I took, this was a major theme of my team. I took Jorge Polanco of the Minnesota Twins. If you remember, even in our league, he went high last year. He was going pretty high in in these leagues as well. Like You look at his 2021 numbers. He hit 33 home runs, 97 runs, 98 RBI, 11 steals, 269 average. Yeah, last year was awful, but I believe he dealt, dealt with injuries. You look at the projections, they all project almost 600 plate appearances. He could hit over 20 homers, 10 steals. You go look at roster resource. This guy's projected to hit at the top, towards the top of the Twins order. Uh, You know, he's hit, yeah, third. Like, what's not to like there? He's done it in 2021. And he's so, look how late I got him. I got him in the 13th round. Another guy that I grabbed, Jose Barrios. He was horrendous last year for the Jays but he plays for a World Series contender giving him opportunity for wins he's another volume pitcher you know he's got three four seasons now with 170 or more innings pitched prior to last year he was always you know that solid mid rotation type and then he just fell off a cliff but I dug in into the numbers and his stuff hasn't really declined. It was just a bad year. Everything went wrong. So that's another example of just trying to target a bounce back. Cause a lot of these players, when they have down years and they really fall in, in, in their ADP, another one, Austin Meadows. Last one I'm going to say before, no, actually I have two, sorry. Austin Meadows. He was injured all year last year. He didn't even hit a home run. Um, Tigers traded for him. But look what he did in 2021. 27 homers, 106 RBI. Like I said, the the Tigers brought the fences in. Last one, Avisel Garcia. He's gotten in 
he's gotten into better shape this offseason. That's a report. First year with the Marlins, he was awful. But 2021, 29 homers, 8 steals, 260 average. You see the theme here. I'm taking guys who have done this before, who have really cheap a cheap price because of a bad year. I'm just filling out my lineup that way. So now in these situations, you don't you're not looking at any potential maybe call ups or um, any type of player that may be on an opening day roster may not have an everyday job, for example. I, I can't think of anybody that comes to mind, but you know, someone in that in that type of mold. That's a that's a great question because of course we always get you know enticed by these young prospects. Um, I'm not against taking them. Like for example, uh, Corbin Carroll of the D-backs. He went in the fifth round because he's got elite speed. You know, he could hit 15 to 20 home runs. Top prospect in baseball, pretty much or he's up there top five. Uh, so he goes up, he goes really high because of his speed, but the diamondbacks like to run wild. It may be worth it. It basically, I'm not saying I'm going to avoid it just the way the draft falls. If, you know, if I already got my closer there and he's fallen far, I might take him. Or if I um, need a third baseman and Gunnar Henderson is there and he's in the eighth round instead of the seventh, I might go for him. But the way my team was where I was really waiting, I had really waited on a shortstop. Like I got took in the 11th round second base took in the 13th round because uh, of that. I, I wanted to take players who have done it before really recent and that in 2021, basically bounce back candidates. But you know, if let's say early on, I grabbed a second baseman, like, someone like Altuve and it was already secure I didn't need that kind of um, safe production proven production maybe I could take a shot on like a Jordan Walker of the Cardinals who I think you should definitely target uh, because you know he's he's um, eligible at third base weak position and he's going to play in the outfield when he's up and apparently he's likely to be up on opening day he's a great young hitter but aside from those prospects, like I wouldn't go crazy with them until later because there's so many. You can get other ones later on in the draft. Um, there's some really under the radar ones I'm going to show you. And a recommendation to the listeners, look at James Anderson of Rotowire's content. He's great with prospects. He called out Michael Harris last year. Carlos, I'll give you that uh, the links for that. He's great. So a lot of the players that he's hyping up, I'm targeting. And one in particular is Oswald Peraza. Look where I get him in the 20th round instead of, say, here in the 13th. There's a more reasonable price. And Peraza, I took him like two two rounds ahead. And I'll tell you why in a second as I pull up this wonderful quote from James Anderson from his Rotowire article. So let's get right to that um getting to it now on the site rookie hitter tiers one so this is an article he just really talks about a lot of process listen there's so many prospects it's hard to know them all you got to trust all the talented writers all the guys plugged in and read their content they're they're immersed in this, this is a specialty 
So Peraza's glove is really good. It's projected to be the starting shortstop for the Yankees. He's the reason they didn't sign Correa. Look what James Anderson says about him. And I quote, just pulling it here. Okay. Peraza seems to be flying a little under the radar. He is in the Tommy Edmond, Andres Jimenez mold of a low double digits home run, 20 plus stolen base middle infielder whose glove keeps him in the lineup. What's the theme of my team? Glove keeps him in the lineup when I need it. And this is one of them. You want to know, listeners want to know where Tommy Edmond goes in the draft and where Jimenez goes? Well, Edmund went in the fifth round in my draft. Jimenez went in the sixth round. Of course, that's like a ceiling outcome for Peraza, but it's in the range in the higher percent. Like that, I'd be ecstatic with that. The point is, if he plays every day, he can, you know, steal a hand, a chunk of bases and be in a good lineup, and the glove keeps him there. So that's an example of an under the radar prospect at a premium position that I went at and I gave you a resource there that could really help you out. Oh, don't worry. I love Rotowire. That, uh, that, that's the one website I, I really, uh, get my, like dig myself into because it's so intensive, uh, fan graphs. I'm still getting used to it, but Rotowire for me, just visually, it it's very, um, easy to read. Uh, the content's great. The writers are great. Even the weekly content, um, like their waiver wire for fab budgets are fantastic um, because they also rank players on like a scale of A to D to E or whatever, where, okay, maybe you don't need to put your entire budget. It helps you get a good idea for these younger players that are being called up or might get called up soon that they initially catch your eye because they'll be A on the fab budget, right? For They'll be graded as an A. And then it's like, okay. And that's when I had to pounce. Uh, but yeah, they're always, always good, yeah. especially dynasty wise. They have the great dynasty ranks. Um, yeah. And for this particular format, it's huge because like those prospects, especially the deeper ones who are closer to the majors, like think about last year. How did you know? I didn't know who Spencer Strider was coming into the year. Michael Harris. Like I knew Adley Rutschman, but I knew a bunch of prospects, but there's some that you don't know as much about and they just come up and do well. So be sure to really look into that. It's a great resource. Now, the next one I'm going to talk about, here's a key little trick. There's a few util only players in the draft pool who are going to be eligible at catcher after 10 games. The first one is a prospect by the name of Shea Langoliers. He plays for the Oakland A's. He was the main piece that they got in the Matt Olson trade. Let's pull up his minor league numbers for the listeners. Langoliers. Last year, you know, he played, he had 153 plate appearances in the big leagues, hit six home runs. Whatever. It's his cup of coffee. He's getting his feet wet. In AAA, he hit 19 home runs, stole five bases, and 400 plate appearances. He's projected by every you know projection system over you know close to 15 plus home runs, and he's a starting catcher. 
for the Oakland A's. And you look where you get him in the draft. 16th round. Well, actually, this person reached on him a little too high. Like, I'd rather have burial, so I took. I was actually looking at Langoliers. But as a second catcher, like that's pretty nice. You look at guys who went ahead. Like, Logan Ohapi goes ahead of him. That's another prospect. But is he that much better than Langoliers? No, he goes two rounds earlier. Some people in your draft may not realize that he's going to be a catcher. Well, him less so because they... He's more known, but I'm going to get into even deeper ones. The next one is since I didn't get Langoliers, I waited way long. You may know, you may remember our old friend Mitch Garver. He used to play for the Twins. He's got power. He's only eligible at utility, but he is going to play some catcher for the Rangers, backing up Jonah Heim, maybe playing some DH. You know, he hit 31 home runs in 2019. He's got power. He hit 10 home runs and only 215 plate appearances last year. So if you're really waiting on your second catcher, it's nice. It's a nice pick. Last one. This is digging really deep of the util catcher. His name is Yainer Diaz. And I found him through, again, James Anderson. So let's just pull him up here for you. Uh, okay. He is, of course, util only. He will add catcher eligibility. You go look at his player page on fan graphs. And if you look at the projections, he's not projected a lot because here's another tip. If you're looking at players, uh, young players who don't have, you know, a season under their belt, the projections are going to be super low on their playing time. But each projection system gives them a 250 plus average. If you're getting that from a bench catcher later on, that's money. You look what he did. He had 16 home runs and only 219 plate appearances at AAA last year. He also had 294. Here's another thing. Go back to our old friend Jeff Zimmerman, mining the news. He says, Yainer Diaz has the upper hand as the backup catcher. Is backup catcher exciting? No, in 99% of leagues, you're not going to care about this player. But in draft champions, you are because you get him in the 41st round. What if he, you know, what if Maldonado gets hurt? Diaz is the starting catcher. As a second catcher, that's nice. The problem here that I ran into is I had two util catchers. So I needed another one. I picked one earlier, Reese McGuire. What did I do? His defense is good. Keeps him in the lineup. He's the starter. So I let him hold down the fort until Garver gets catcher eligibility. I throw him in. Don't go crazy. I did it last year. I tried it once. I took like Will Smith and Dalton Varshall to stack catchers. Don't do it. Like screw that. Get like a solid one early. Get You could get your boy Adley Rutschman in the fourth round and then just wait, 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 wait. Take your second. Take a defensive one that keeps him in the lineup just so – because. The, the key here is you can't make pickups, right? So you don't want to take zeros. You never want to have injuries and you have no one to plug in. Even if they suck, sometimes you just need someone in there. What if they get a run or two or three or a home run? Like You just need to accumulate stats always. You need plate appearances. So that's mm -hmm. a, a major key. Yeah, I, I'm going to be looking for Adley Rushman. That's all I know. Um, yeah, you have to get your guys. You love Rutschman, and Rutschman's gonna get a 
ton of plate appearances, he's the perfect pick for you. And I think in this one, he went a little high, but like what you're going to do is you just go look at the ADP since January 1st, or even you could filter it to more recent, like January 14th. If you see that he's going in the fifth, you really want him, just take him like late fourth or something just to make sure you get him. But try to get one of those anchor catchers. You could even get like Salvador Perez, Will Smith, and then wait. And uh, that's a major key. And then later on in your draft, you can try the prospects. You could try, there's this guy, Jordan Diaz, plays for the A's, very deep uh, under the radar prospect. I got him again from James Anderson. He's got a good hit tool. Obviously, the A's lineup is awful. So there's opportunities for playing time. Target teams that are contenders for your pitchers because you want wins you want to rack up wins so what did i do jay's number five uh spot in the rotation there's about it's wide open it's kikuchi who stunk last year but he could strike guys out you never know what if they fix his control he can give me a start here and there nate pearson they may want to make him a starter you know it's a flyer the prospect ricky ricky titterman what if he blows up and he just gets called up and he kills it like Manoa did a couple years ago? You never know. So you take those shots, but you don't want to go crazy with the prospects. You want to have some bench players that are, you know, not maybe not that good, but they're going to play. Like I took Carlos Santana. He's going to start on the Pirates. You just need, you need to, what I like to do is on a spreadsheet, I make a depth chart. So I have each position, for example, looking at my catcher, I got Real Muto, I got Garver, one, I got Maguire to fill in the hole until he, you know, takes, um, gets the eligibility. Second base, I picked that prospect as a backup, Jordan Diaz, but I have a veteran in Scope who's hit 25 plus home runs as recent as 2021. Uh, the Rangers are looking to have one of their in-house options be their left fielder. So I took both of the guys fighting for that position just because it's just depth. That's it. You just don't want to get a zero, like I said. Um, so you need players who could get playing time. But you could throw in a prospect there as like the third string. And then if they come up, that's great. If you took one as your second string, like you really liked one, like say Jordan Walker, let's say you have him as a corner, uh, take a veteran who has playing time but it's not as exciting to back him up just in case that, you know, Walker's in the minors longer than usual. Those are some uh, tips to building your team. Yeah, I feel a lot more prepared now. Uh, I think uh, the listeners, too, have got an idea of what you're, you're, you're looking for. You have your spreadsheets. You're looking for accumulating stats. You know, you, that's what we do in baseball. Try to find the best stats and ratios as best we can. Project forward. And get to know this player pool. It's going to be, uh, I'm excited because I've never done this before. And now I get to jump in and really dig deep when, you know, usually I'm I'm only focusing on uh, just a regular amount of players, uh, maybe the top 250. And uh, yeah. to go deeper than that, it's going to be fun. Because, of course, it's, as we know, this is baseball, and gold lives outside that top 50, 250. So it's just yeah, exactly. it's just mining for it, right? It's just making sure you mine for that gold. 
Exactly. I want to give you another tip because this one's important too. And uh, Vlad Sedler of FTN tweeted this out. And what he tweeted out was the 80th percentile of each stat that you needed to like, like what you needed to get in each category to hit the 80th percentile. And that's what you want to aim for because you're trying to win the overall. And I have it here. I'll send it to you. For example, last year, 80th percentile was 255 batting average. It was 125 steals. So doesn't mean it's going to be exactly that. But what you could do is add up each of the three of the last three years, divide it by three, get the aggregate, get the average, and try to maybe aim for that. So then what I do is I go look at the Fangraphs player page. I get the projections. I um, pick which one I want, or I even add all of them up and then average it out just so like it balances each one. And then I see where I'm at. So first three picks, Tucker, Riomuto, and Rosarena, I was projected for 61 steals out of those three. Now, if I wanted to get to 125, I'm already basically halfway there. Uh, so the next couple picks, I could have, you know, take taken it easy on steals. So when you write this down, it just helps you a lot because you want to make sure it's as balanced as possible, and you put your position, you put your team in a position to contend for that overall prize because that's what we want. Yeah, you want to shoot for the moon and aim for the stars. You know, like the way your your draft is set up in general, it's just. You know, you have a lot of plus 10 stolen bases. It's just an even set out. Um, you can kind of, it's like a net, uh, like a vast net use that you have of, okay, exactly. let's, I don't it's... have a, a number one guy, but let's see how all this entire group and what this entire group could accumulate together. Yeah, that's a great point because you don't want to, you don't want to be taking these, hitters who could hurt you everywhere else but they steal 30 bases like in the past you know like couple years last year miles straw went i think eight ninth or tenth round because he was projected to lead off and he could steal 30 40 bases but he doesn't hit any home runs so he kills you in home runs really puts you behind the eight ball so the better strategy is to get little bits little like tens here little 15, 20 steal, five, seven, eight projection, and then add it all up like that. And then, you know, on your bench, you could take your shots. You know, Adoberto Mondesi, uh, it's too risky. He's always hurt. I, I liked him in the past, but don't like him anymore, even at the reduced price, even going to the Red Sox. I mean, it's interesting a bit, but he's already, I heard, he moved up to like pick 150 now. And a player like that with the volatile profile, it's too risky. Like, he's going to go in the 10th round now. Like, no. Like, look at the players. You could take Hunter Green, who's just a stud, great K-rate, uh, amazing fastball. You could take Riley Green, your boy. It's really risky to take Mondesi, where his ADP will be bumped up to. He's He's better to take in a league where you have IL spots, uh, it's 12 teams, maybe 10 teams, and you could just get his steals for the week. It's a head-to-head. -head. But for this, it's so deep, no, too risky. Okay. Yeah, I, I get it because uh, it's best. Mondesi, I, I'm the same with you. I felt I was a big fan of him a few years back just because of the game-changing speed he had. 
but as the injuries piled up and it's just it's just a shame he it's just you'd hope especially early in his career you just assume that like maybe he would just improve his hit tool suit like as this as he got acclimated to the MLB but what ended up happening was the opposite and uh now he's he's uh good I feel like gonna be a good like platoon player for the Red Sox maybe yeah. start every day um but he gives him that speed juice in the lineup but it's, for fantasy too... I'm 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 too worried to just be like I know you were even saying you know get those guys who were slumping hard but it's just no it's for too... him no yeah no no it's too much because you know like the players I was saying well like Baez is more proven. He's done it like three times, and he's he doesn't get hurt every year. Polanco done it a couple times, and he doesn't get hurt every year. So it's just months. He's going to be too expensive. But um, one thing I should say is to to sort of sum it up is try to play it safe earlier, like your first five rounds, and then you could take maybe just pick and choose your spots to take shots. So for example, my my. My risky pick in the early rounds was Glasnow, but that doesn't mean I went and took Tatis. Or, like, if I took Tatis in the second round, am I going to take Glasnow? Those are two major risks. If I took DeGrom in the third round, am I going to take Glasnow? No, those are two pitchers with significant injury concerns. So you balance it out, and you uh, really, you really make sure you don't go overboard because... It just doesn't work. You look at the overall winners, they don't have all these flashy players all the time. It's just that sound floor hitting on a bunch of young guys. Like, look, last year, if you had like a Strider and a Harris, but you played it safe early. Sometimes even the undervalued veteran just pops off. Like last year, Mookie Betts went in the second round. He did great. So it doesn't always have to be a home run. I want to say one more point is one thing I like to do, don't take... A hitter, I've started to think about this. Don't take hitters who get a huge bump in OBP compared to average. So in OBP, Juan Soto goes like top three, maybe even first overall, because it's like 450. But his average, because average is way less sticky, like meaning it's year to year, it could be so different. Like if he hits last year, I think he hit 240 or something. So you don't really want to take someone like that in this average league because like i'm not saying the full out fade him but if you're at like pick 11 that's where he goes maybe you could take his teammate machado who plays a more premium position someone like that even like bull bichette i do like to reach on i think he goes too low but i digress frank i think uh with that i think it's a cliche time say like you know what more can be said I think we've said it all here. 100%. We've said it all, Frank. There's nothing left to be said. And I'm ready. I think our listeners are ready to just get into our our early NFC drafts and take advantage while we can. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to say this one final thing. I know we've, we've said it all, but let's just say one more thing. I really like the shot you took here because, hey, if shifts go down, pitchers may not be as reliable as we once thought. So that's a, dance yeah, that's with a the hitters point. while you can. Yeah, that's a great point because that could bump up a bunch of hitters average, more balls in play, and it could hurt the pitchers who who put more balls in play. Like I have Logan Webb. Okay, it's it may hurt him, but like 
pitchers like Glasnow are a premium and you just take a shot. Maybe the next draft I do, you know, that's the thing. If you do more than one, we're going to change the build. Like maybe the next one, I'm not going to take an early catcher. Maybe I'm going to take one of the aces like a strider. Maybe I won't take Glas. definitely won't take Glasnow again. Like you want to just kind of diversify there. If you want to have your guys make it be the late ones, like, Let's say I really like Edward Olivares because he's got opening for playing time. Great spot. Uh, so that's a that's we've said it all, but I want to leave one thing because I wanted to say this. Just got one more thing. Is a major is a major sleeper at starting pitcher because I want to tell him to you too when you go to draft. His name is Jose Suarez. Uh, where is he from? Mining the news. Oh, wait, I got to find him. And it's Jose Suarez of the Angels. So check out this. This is like, it sold me so much. And it's true. Look, there's a ton that went on that. There's a ton that went on with Suarez last season. His first six starts, he was up and down from AAA, 5 ERA, 5.7 walks per nine. But then late June, everything clicked. He did had the following improvements. 0.5 miles per hour gain in velocity across the board added a new pitch a slider which had a 14 percent swing strike where he had horizontal break to his changeup which created more ground balls D- uh, didn't throw fastballs as much 48 percent to 40 percent ground ball rate went from 36 to 43 to 51 in september and his walk rate went from 5.7 walks per nine to 1.8 like that's nuts and that's just not a hot streak like he just he just was a different pitcher so he says here a complete transformation his second half 18 percent k to walk percentage is in line with wood alex wood who's another sleeper of his and his comps julio urias sandy alcantara he is a breakout hidden in plain sight i would take wood ahead of him just because a longer track record but suarez would be an easy second choice Draft Jose Suarez. I'll leave it at that. And shout out Jeff Zimmerman. Wow. We've really said it all here. We've said it all now. Frank, Jose Suarez, ADPs, NFCs. Let's get these, Frank. <laughs> let's go. Right. Let's, let's get go. this baseball season underway. And let's go birds. Let's go because birds. Because we all know the city of Philadelphia needs to be set on fire again in two weeks. Let's go.